Welcome to Better Angels, the podcast for women creating change. I'm Susan Ferry Price, and each week I have a conversation with an entrepreneur, activist, investor, or other visionary woman who's helping make our world a little bit better. Thanks for joining us. Today's episode is sponsored by SheBD. SheBD is the first ever couture wellness company providing the highest quality CBD-rich, broad-spectrum hemp supplements that are formulated exclusively for women. All of SheBD's products, from their mess-free soft gels to their fast-acting comfort cream, are made from 100% organic sun-grown hemp that's sustainably processed and packaged here in the U.S. Experience the beauty of natural wellness. Learn more at SheBD.com. As someone who spends many, many hours lost in a book, no one has to convince me of the power of stories. But who is and who isn't telling those stories shapes our world far more than how much we just like a movie or book or video. Bridget Antoinette Evans and Tracy Van Slyke are leaders in pushing Hollywood to be more inclusive and in creating cultural change through storytelling in all its forms. In 2016, they founded the Pop Culture Collaborative, a network of more than 5,000 creators, activists, and philanthropists who are reshaping cultural narratives. They've worked with America Ferrara, Andrew Smith, Issa Rae, as well as a long list of Hollywood icons and trailblazing activists. Here's Bridget and Tracy. Was there a moment in each of your experiences where it coalesced in your heads that you could combine culture and social impact and your various interests and create a field around it as you're doing now? Bridget, I think you were an actor at one point. I think the story starts even before that choice. My mother's family is from Savannah, Georgia, and they grew, you know, they all came of age during the Jim Crow era and were deeply involved in the civil rights movement in that region. And emerging out of that time, my mother had quite a clear mandate for my sister and I, which was that we could go and do and become anybody that we wanted to, as long as we were changing the world by doing it, improving it, contributing to advancing justice. So for me, that was exciting and confusing prospect because I really loved art. I was incredibly shy as a child and my mother kicked me into a drama class at one point and I discovered that although I was terrified of speaking at a young age inside of the form of theater I found my voice. I loved to speak on behalf of characters and I loved creating stories and I felt bold and brave in inside of that construct. That's what freedom felt like to me was to be on stage. And so the question of like what theater had to do with social justice was a really perplexing one in part because I was in training programs and drama schools that were at predominantly white institutions and tended to have this kind of attitude that great art is actually art that isn't about politics, right? Like great artists 
don't have to draw upon their personal experiences. They have just boundless imagination and that actually art that is drawn from personal journey and experience is of a lesser quality. Art that interrogates justice and politics and inequity is not really art. And so I kind of had to buck that system first. And in doing so, I came to realize that actually the way that we experience stories, the kinds of openings and awakenings that happen when we engage with a story is actually the place where transformation happens. And it is in fact an incredibly important space for people in the social justice world to be working in. My question then became like, okay, like what is the work of bridging the distance between a really great story that you experience that one person or a small group of people experience and the widespread cultural change that we see happen in the world at different points? What's all the work that makes that kind of transformation possible? And that inquiry is what led me first into producing at the international level in South Africa and in Croatia. And I sort of was going all over Paris and London and doing all of these productions. And then I ended up in collaboration with movement leaders quite naturally through that work. I was producing Susan Laurie Park's Venus in South Africa and some other countries and ended up in a relationship with a human trafficking activist, an anti-trafficking activist named Rachel Lloyd, who's based here in New York. And she taught me a great deal through that sort of consultation and collaboration that we did together about the role that story can play. From there, I began working with other movement leaders, Ai-jen Poo in the domestic worker rights movement and others, and landed inside what was then a burgeoning culture change field and found my home. There are about a hundred threads in what you just talked about that I want to get back to, but I wanted to get Tracy's moment first. I grew up in a household where my parents were deeply steeped in the civil rights and anti-war movement. I think my parents met outside of D.C. planning for a protest where my dad turned to my mom and said, stuff these envelopes. And she said, stuff this. And it was love ever since. And they created just this really powerful, amazing household where there was constant strategy meetings and organizing meetings happening in our living room. The other part of me is I was always constantly lost in books. Like I would tumble into a story and you couldn't get me out of it. For me, what I was sort of, as I was going through school, I thought the way that I could change people through story was first of all, through journalism. And I started a path through journalism and I was both incredibly excited to be sort of like fingers on the pulse of what was happening every day in our country. I was working in DC as a reporter. And then there was like a large part of me that was going, this isn't real. Like this politics isn't translatable to most of the world. And a very smart person told me to get out of DC. Um, And so I did. My next few years, I sort of moved through work, working with social justice movements at the sort of intersection of social change and strategic communications I went back into journalism and became the publisher of a magazine called In These Times. And through all these experiences, I was really always constantly wondering what was the kind of inciting experiences, story experiences that actually sort of really deeply 
influenced how people thought about the world, felt about the world, the actions they took in the world, and like what was the kind of media ecosystem that would help create more engagement with content and story. Was this moment was when Occupy Wall Street happened. Everyone was talking about the collapse of the economy and who was to blame. And I was working on a project that was incredibly powerful that said, hey, we're going to really change the narrative around who the economy works for and who it should benefit. And it became this really clear moment that many in the social justice movement understood narrative and story through the lens of everyday news headlines and the talking points we were putting out, which was incredibly important. But I felt we were missing like the vision moment. Like, how do we make this idea of the economy real? How do people feel it, taste it, understand it? And to me, that's where I was like, oh, this is where the stories we love, the pop culture we love, the television, the film, the music that actually we experience every day, that's what helps shape us. And that's what helps make things real for us. We're not looking at it through that lens. We have frameworks around these things. We make these distinctions. There's journalism, there's documentaries, there's hashtag movements that we know are coming from a specific purpose that as a consumer of this content, we understand the intent behind it. When I think of pop culture, I think of entertainment. That's the predominant goal that the creator is trying to achieve. So there are some challenges, I think, in merging these two. One of the things that was actually a really important transition for, I think, Tracy and I in our minds within our work at the Pop Culture Collaborative is to really expand our definition of what pop culture is. And certainly in the digital age where our ability to experience stories and culture really, really spans everything from going to a movie theater or going to a Broadway show or going to a sporting event to being able to find one's place in the sort of most intimate or mass scale environments in the online digital space. Pop culture isn't just about the conventional entertainment industries. It's really this very holistic experience that we're having across all of these different mediums. So we came to define pop culture as any experience that is shared by millions of people every day. So we look at political speeches and best-selling books and podcasts. Through that lens, you begin to see that things are actually talking to each other the different kinds of content is building a call and response. And the question that we have as an organization, as a collaborative team that Tracy and I have formed is what's the implications of all of this content talking to each other when it's not organized. And what we see is that when it's not organized, not only is there potentially the space where the the ideas are just not coordinated and they're not resonating, they're not building the power that they really deserve to build. That's one possible outcome. The other is that you have to actually really hold the fact that if people who believe in social justice aren't organizing these ideas and beginning to really intentionally look at how this content and ideas are interacting with each other. Other people are. 
And they are looking at that organization through the lens of how they can leverage it to disinform, to disempower, to distort, to polarize people across a whole set of cultural and ideological borders. If you look at the protests, for instance, in 2020 around racial justice and police violence, what we all experienced during that period of time was a condition in which the ideas and stories and protagonists that were emerging in the grassroots through the work of organizers and activists across the country began to resonate and communicate really with other content experiences that were happening across the landscape. So suddenly there were television shows and films that were just resonating very differently because they were being viewed in the context of a world that was so immersed in these videos that were coming out, for instance, around the murder of George Floyd or videos of the protests that were happening across the country. There were books like Michelle Alexander's work, The New Jim Crow, and others that have been in existence for a long time, but suddenly were shooting to the top of the bestseller list again because people were engaging with them anew in this context. And then there was journalism, whether it was opinion and essay writing or it was reportage that was happening that was, again, being read or being listened to on all of the news, cable news channels, whatever, in this context of this cultural kind of real explosion of content that was happening across the pop culture landscape. And it was through that kind of surround sound and immersion that people began to really feel at a cellular level that something was changing in them and something was changing in our culture. And that wasn't just by coincidence. It was because of people in our field and in other fields who were working to fill the space in between all of this content and really shape meaning as these things were bouncing against each other. When that happens, we begin to actually see change happening. And that's, I think, what we did see in 2020. Just to note within the entertainment industry, though, the question often is, well, how can you marry entertainment, people's escapism, and social change? And my question is often like, and how could you not? Because when you don't, you see things happening such as post-2016 election when the Trump administration very quickly moved in the Muslim travel ban. You saw lots of different showrunners and television creators inside Hollywood going, oh my God, what did we do? Because whether it was from de facto, like wanton ignorance to overt use of stereotypes and racist tropes, there were so many television shows that were creating such dangerous stereotypes and myths about Muslim communities that allowed baseline acceptance that Muslim communities were a certain way and you could make policies that attacked them. Rashad Robinson and Color of Change has documented how crime procedurals have created an escape route from police officers from accountability for their crimes, right? Which has allowed things like what led to George Floyd's murder and acceptance that there's sort of an exceptionalism for police officers 
in a conversations around criminal justice. So it's not about how can you, it's about how can you not? And what are the ways that you build the pieces to support both art and creativity and intentionality and commitment to creating a culture in which everyone belongs? If those other unrepresented voices were not out there, you leave a vacuum. So if in the case of after the George Floyd, it was remarkable to me the way so many books about racism and all that shot up onto the bestseller list. Had those voices not written those books, there would have been a vacuum. I know that's a big part of your work is bringing more voices into these realms. How does that work and what do we need to bring in more creators and support them? Fundamentally, we are a grant-making organization. We are resourced by now a dozen social justice and other kinds of foundations that allows us to really pool and focus a set of investments in, for example, artists inside the entertainment industry, where we are sort of trying to push beyond the question of inclusion to what we call inclusion to innovation, to those artists and other kinds of leaders inside the entertainment industry who are trying to reimagine and build a whole new set of systems and infrastructure that creates access point and long-term creative power for a variety of different kinds of artists and workers, BIPOC, women, queer, trans, disabled, and more. And so part of what we've been doing over the last few years has been supporting those artists who are reimagining how television writers' rooms are sort of created and modeled. We've been investing in new kinds of pipeline programs that are by artists such as Mir Gardesi and Issa Rae, who have come through the entertainment industry themselves, understand what's broken and saying, hey, we're not trying to put the Band-Aid on here to like create one fellowship, but create models and infrastructure and companies that bring in and support these artists, support them to develop their own projects, develop them to have experience inside writer's room, to become showrunners, to have different narrative power in front of and behind the camera. Meanwhile, we're also investing in projects and the people that are sort of building these deep partnerships and relationships across social justice movements and the entertainment industry itself. Groups like Harness that was co-founded by America Ferreira, Wilmer Valderrama, and Ryan Pierce Williams, that's now become like a hub, a node between social justice movements and artists, influencers to come together, really talk about deep, powerful issues to build long-term relationships where it isn't just about, hey, will you go tweet this PSA for me, but what does it mean to work together around the issues we care about and the narratives around those issues we want to tell to millions of people, whether it's through social media, through story, through journalism, and lots of other ways. Are you finding overall more support for this work, more openness about it within Hollywood or in in the other realms that you're dealing with? Yeah, I think what Tracy mentioned earlier about the aha moment that a lot of showrunners in television had after the 2016 election is a really good example of where we began as an organization and the ways in which we have tried to stay in step with artists in the industry as they have moved from the kind of like deep reckoning moment five years ago into action. 
what we are now a part of, what we have tried to foster through the collaboratives, you know, networking and convening work is a community of artists in the industry who see themselves as culture change artists, you know, who have a vision of a kind of a cottage industry within Hollywood that is really driven by not only the vision of bringing just systems into the Hollywood industry systems, but also advancing pluralist culture through the stories and other content experiences that they are creating. So we are thrilled. We are so deeply grateful to be in partnership with many of the most visionary artists in the industry right now. Tracy mentioned America Ferreira, but we also are privileged to partner with Ava DuVernay, both in the incredible infrastructure advances that she's making through the Array Crew app and other learning and convening spaces that she's creating for artists in the industry. Issa Rae, Maya Tusi, and Reza Aslan from Boom Gen Studios, Maurizio Mota and Katie Mota from Wise Entertainment. So all of these people, they brought what they could from their own passion, their own analysis of the industry and the world at large to their work. And now as the field, the pop culture for social change field has taken shape and there are real avenues for, for funding and there's networking spaces and there are organizations working in the industry, they have all kind of more formally embraced their role as drivers of cultural change through all of their content and their work. And so we see that as like a very incredible advance within the industry. People did not stay in that place of despair, real despair and real sorrow for some of the choices that they had made in their storytelling. They got into partnership with movement leaders who became advisors to these artists and helped them to navigate a process of learning about whether it was racial justice, gender justice, immigration, and then began to actually transform the stories that they were telling, the characters that they were telling them through and really the analysis, the justice analysis that sat underneath all of the plot points and other elements of the stories that they were telling. So now five years into these relationships, these artists are at the sort of forefront of the kind of stories that are catching hold and catching fire in society. And when you look at the work that Ava DuVernay was able to do around policing and mass incarceration through When They See Us, that was an incredibly brilliant outcome of an artist who has been committed to narrative transformation around mass incarceration for her entire career, who worked so beautifully in concert with Rashad Robinson and the team at Color of Change over many of her different projects, including 13th, the documentary, to build this complex, rich, multidimensional view of the story of how people are ensnared within a criminal justice system that is so deeply rooted in racism, this legacy of racism. As consumers of this content, for people who aren't creating it, are there suggestions you would make to people about supporting this 
we often as an organization, when we watch stories, we're watching on many levels. We're engaging in all the wonder and kind of like suspense of the story itself. And then we're also stepping back and thinking about like, who's telling the stories and what are the implications of particular characters or particular choices within the stories? And how might this story have been told differently given all of the goals that we now collectively are building around social justice and just starting to ask yourself different questions about the content that you're engaging with is a very important first step. And like the artists that I just described, creating relationships with the organizations that are beginning to actually help whole communities of people engage with those stories differently, then takes that up to a whole different level. So if you're engaging with stories around criminal justice or racial justice broadly, um, why not actually also go and visit the websites for Color of Change and other organizations that are engaged in that work? and begin to engage in the broader campaign work and social action work that those organizations are inviting people into. Our media landscape is so fragmented and and bringing in more voices and more voices is the goal and it's the right goal. I think there is a loss right now that we're seeing in people not knowing what the overarching narrative threads really are what we're seeing is sort of a breakdown of who to believe and all those other things that come into this. So how do you claim the authority on an issue within that level of fragmentation? When we're sort of analyzing culture and the cultural waters, we've come to think about different kinds of moments or spaces in our culture. And one of them we call our big sky moments. And big sky moments are those when most people in the country are actually looking up at the same cultural or narrative sky. They are all thinking about the same things. And so examples of that are the racial justice protests in 2020, or an election season, or certainly in the early months of the COVID pandemic, there was a sense of a big sky where everyone was thinking about what it meant to live safely and with the supports that we need in the context of that health crisis. And those moments, we think, are ones when there's actually a lot of space to bring people together around some powerful ideas that help us all to move forward and to survive. You saw a lot of people coalescing around the idea that care matters, that in the absence of schooling, in the absence of childcare, in the absence of other supports that people rely on to be able to be independent, to be able to work outside of their homes, et cetera, that we saw people really coming to quite a reckoning around how important and how essential the care workforce was, for instance, and how essential it is for us to actually advance and create the support systems that allow people to access that care. The essential workforce emerge as protagonist in the story of how the U.S. survives and rebuilds and heals and recovers. That was a major transformation moment. So those kinds of moments are moments when we aren't 
fragmented, where we are all being called into the same narrative space, one thing that we have to consider is that the arenas in which we used to assume that connection happened, right? Like it used to be that like television was a space where like 50 million people came together to watch the same show at the same time every Thursday night or something like that, right? That that used to be the place where the water cooler happened in our culture. And it's not the case anymore because people are watching all sorts of things. But the water coolers are actually happening in these other spaces like the digital realm, where no matter whether people are all watching different things at a moment, because they're connected on Instagram, on TikTok, on, on Twitter, they are actually observing and engaging in these popular moments. Right. So we have to be sort of broken open by something and into that gap, these larger narrative can come through. It's unfortunate that those tend to be tragedies. Yeah, that's often the case, but it's often the case that's what we're reacting to. And one of the things that we have been really experimenting with and seeding through what we call our Becoming America Fund, we are building towards what it means to build the yearning in tens of millions of people, over 150 million people to want to co-create a just and pluralist society. And so that just and pluralist society, you need to immerse people in what that looks like. Like I said earlier, what that feels like. And one of those big ideas is trying to talk about our abundance, our abundance of who we are, our abundance of who we are individually, collectively, and starting to tap into people's joy, right? What is those joyful embodying experiences of abundance? And we've started to experimentations around content that start to proactively spark that feeling of collective joy that brings us potentially to these bigger moments that we're all experiencing that isn't about trauma, but is about possibility and starts to open our mind about where we can go and what we can build together when we're sitting in that space. It's true that a lot of the big sky moments that we have experienced recently are born out of tragedy and trauma and crisis. That That is the reality of a world that we're currently in. But when I think about the possibilities that live inside of big sky moments, I actually think about the release of the first Black Panther film which was a moment when millions and millions of people all over the world were looking up at the sky and the sky was reflecting this vision of Wakanda. And it was a society that was more advanced in every way than we could imagine. It was this gorgeous Black-led multiverse of incredibly powerful characters that sparked imagination about what lies ahead. That's absolutely about joy, the joy of a great story that opens you up and gives you permission to live into possibility. So we see both of those ways of creating openings as being really important for our field to be involved in not only sort of catalyzing, but shaping, creating stories like Black Panther, but also being prepared to meet the moments like the arrival of a pandemic or a deep tragedy within a Black family that requires 
storytelling requires meaning making and really helping to guide people towards pluralist action and transformation in their lives. Find out more about Bridget and Tracy's work at popcollab.org and on social. I'll have all the links in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Follow Better Angels on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. A rating or review helps us expand our community of visionary women. For more of those women and great women-owned brands, visit SusanFerryPrice.com and follow me on Instagram. Know a world-changing woman or brand I should know? Of course you do. Drop me a line at Susan at SusanFerryPrice.com. See you next week.